George. Joe. I hear I sound distorted or like a robot. Let's play along. Yeah, your, your mic sounds, uh, you know, a little wonky tonight, but that's okay because uh, we're working on some new merch from the shop that says hashtag Wayne Joe. <laughs> but how do I look? You look gorgeous. Thank it you. always does me so good to see you after a couple of weeks of talking message. And then we get to see each other and it just does me a lot of good. Right? You get all warm and cozy and yeah, fuzzy feeling. I absolutely love you. Now, what we've done here... Uh, it, is, it seems to be taking on a pretty interesting, very cool life. I'm just so so proud of what you and I have figured out with the brigade, and uh, it wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for you. So I know I give you a lot of shit, but I think that's part of the shtick, and, you know. And, and everybody knows I love you. So. I appreciate that, brother. I love you too. And what we're doing here, it is phenomenal. The background work you've been doing the past week, holy crap, going leaps and bounds. We've done some cool shit, huh? Yeah, definitely. Um, From the distribution label to the merch. That's what I was going to say. Touch base on that real fast before we get Mike on. Well, if anybody uh, hasn't been paying attention, then, you know, you probably should. Because Andy Brigade has uh, kind of taken on a pretty exciting life uh, of its own, which is, I think, what Joe and I were really hoping was going to happen when we started this thing up. Uh, our community is filling up with some of the most amazing creatives and, and wonderful spirits that I've ever had the, the privilege to meet, uh, from filmmakers to uh, distribution execs. And we've got a very exciting new member that we're going to be making announcements about here pretty soon uh, with regard to publicity and, and PR and everything like that. Uh, and part of tonight's episode is actually going to be a lead up to that announcement. Uh, so we're going to start being able to provide a lot more resources to filmmakers that they otherwise do not have access to uh, as part of the brigade. And uh, one of the first things that we announced was our own distribution label. Uh, we brought on a good friend of mine named Dean Fernando to be the vice president of acquisitions and distribution for Romero Pictures. And we are feverishly working to put together all of the little, uh, little details about how to explain exactly what we've got going on. But needless to say, uh, the short version is that we are now, uh, we've got a couple of distribution labels, one under the Romero Pictures banner uh, and then one under the Brigade label. Um, and that's very exciting and it's designed to put as much control and ownership of the projects into the hands of all of the communities out there who are making it. So it's just a little bit further in that punk rock kind of mindset where, uh, you know, hey man, you made your movie, you own your movie, and we're just here to help you get eyeballs on it. Um, you know, so that's the big first step that we've announced last week. Uh, and now we've got some other cool stuff to go along with that. And uh, we've got a phenomenal show tonight. Um, before we get to that, you know, we've just we've been taking strides in everything that we're doing. And it's all leading up to the Indie Brigade and Romero Pictures uh, being uh, a large part of launching Veterans Compound, which is going to be a huge filmmaking for that's um, that's really good. It's great stuff. And uh, and now we've got this this new uh, partner that we're going to be announcing, and and I'm being cryptic on purpose because uh, we just like the distribution label that's going to be a big part of it. Uh, it's going to open up an actual resource for members of the brigade uh, to work with and learn from one of the top uh, PR guys in the entire world. Uh, and so it's it's extremely exciting. 
So that's just some of the stuff, Joe. And I think there's a bunch of stuff I haven't told you about yet, too. Like the hashtag blame Joe stuff. That's probably I think my wife and daughter have those on pre-order. Um, <laughs> uh, if you could read this one comment, I'd appreciate it, sir. Hey, Steve is here. Hey, Steve, thank you for joining us tonight. I would like to give a special thank you to Mr. Stephen Joyner, who has been one of the best friends uh, to the brigade so far. He has uh, he has been responsible for so much of the good that we've been working on uh, and introducing us all over the internet. There's, you're going to see us uh, popping up on a lot of uh, interviews out there talking about what we've got going on. Uh, you're going to see Steve's name pop up a lot. Uh, he's a very prominent member of the brigade. And we're so proud to have him and have the relationship there. So uh, very excited that he's here to check it out tonight. Hope we don't uh, say anything stupid. Going to hit a couple more comments before we get Mike on. Um, yeah, already. Well, that's crazy. Yeah, we got Terry. Happy day after Turkey Murder Day. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Terry. I appreciate that. I was actually talking to Terry earlier. He's a good guy. I just met him. Uh, yeah. Uh, we, he said he was going to steal Turkey Murder Day. I think he did. Well, thanks, Ron. I uh, should have got a new mic at Black Friday sale. Mm -hmm. You know what? This is the Black Friday episode. We have not touched on that and you know what ron might have a point but joe you were busy on black friday working your ass off to make that happen so thank you you're welcome yeah. uh, <laughs> uh well scott uh, i'm gonna skip your comment for right now we'll just say scott said look at these guys oh, right here that's the general theme here we're just so depressed <laughs> well, I was I was speaking to Michael pre-show, and uh, I told him that I was going to butcher his name, so I'm just going to allow him to introduce himself so I don't butcher his name <laughs> completely. Yeah, yeah. I, was, uh, I was trying to come up with some way that I don't even know, so I'm glad that you worked this out because... Uh, well, he's made a great film, and, and I think his premiere is December 7th, and I'm excited to hear all about that from him. Uh, I'm not even going to try to put his name either. <laughs> so I'm going to bring him up, and I'm going to do a little background uh, work. So without further ado, here is... Welcome, Michael. Hey, guys. Michael Anthony Judicissi, but MG or Michael do just fine. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, Michael. Thank you for joining us, man. It really means the world to me that you jumped on here so last minute. Uh, one of the things, you know, I, I told you in the in the pre-show a little bit that uh, Indie Brigade is kind of trial by fire. So a lot of times uh, what we do is we get on here and we just kind of wing it. And a lot of times you'll see me looking down. I'm not being disrespectful. I take notes when, when my guests talk and I refer to those notes uh, as needed or if needed. So um, it means the world to me that you have joined us here tonight. And um, I think that the film that you've made and the concept behind the way you made the film is one of the more unique that I've heard of lately, and that's why I was excited to have you on here. So uh, before we kind of get into it, why don't you kind of intro your film, tell people about it a little bit, and then we'll talk for a few minutes, and then we'll show the trailer. So uh, uh, my film is called In Their Own Words, Billy the Kid and the Lincoln County War, and it's essentially a first-person account uh, as if we directed Billy and 16 of his friends and enemies and brought them back to modern day and interviewed all of them. 
And we got to ask him anything we wanted. What happened? What did you feel? What did you do? Who did you like? Who did you hate? And we took all those interviews and then we knit them together to tell the story of Billy or for them, for Billy and his friends to tell their story from his life until ultimately his death in Fort Sumner, or maybe not his death, depending on uh, what you believe, because that's obviously a little an issue with some people. Absolutely. Well, it's I, I think that the storytelling uh, technique that you kind of went with for this, I mean, you know, we've seen a handful of films that were well executed with this kind of uh, uh, approach. And I'm, I'm curious what made you take the approach that you took? Uh, what, you know, is there anything out there that inspired you or was this completely just, you know, fuck it, I'm going completely out of the box here? Uh, also, <laughs> yeah. we're rated R. Joe wanted PG-13 originally, but I, he can't. He can't yeah, we're in our territory. Uh, really, actually, a little bit of both in that I knew from a budget standpoint, I couldn't compete with a Hollywood film or even a larger indie film, you know, scripted, live action. And that story of Billy the Kid has been told so many times and so many different ways that all you would be doing is just telling a different flavor of the exact same story. What has never been done because these people are long since dead, is allowing them to speak for themselves, for them to come back and say whatever they wanted about their life, the lives they took, the lives they saved. And so to me, it was a lot more intriguing to, uh, you know, to, to, to settle on this format. And uh, the thing that most people don't know, but I guess they will now, is that this film was 100% unscripted. And so every single actor had to, they had about three months to study their character, to do the research historically. And when we got on set, the answers they gave came from their own research and from their own interpretation of the character, but they never read a, a word that I wrote for them. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> I've made some stuff off of outlines before, um, but I've never, I've, I've never gone into that 100% unscripted thing, man. That's that's a, uh, those are waters I've always been kind of uh, hesitant to dip my toe in, um, you know, mainly because uh, as I think as a filmmaker, you know, I want to make sure that my thread is carried through the whole thing, uh, especially if it's a story that I've written. Um, but I guess in, in, in this version, the story was written by history. So it's interesting, you know, how did you manage to kind of wrangle your vision while giving that much freedom to your cast? I mean, first of all, I guess it's, it's a two-part question. First of all, how'd you wrangle your vision? And second of all, uh, I mean, how important does casting become at that point? You know, I mean, like, what did you have to go through to find the right cast? It couldn't have been easy. Yeah, the casting was uh, challenging, and which is the reason we started so early, because when we found the people that had the right look, the right feel for the character, um, then we had to give them enough time to be able to put on that cloak of who they were supposed to be. And in some cases, some of these characters, Paulita Maxwell, um, who you know may have been Billy's sweetheart, Bob Ollinger, who was Billy's last victim, there's not a, a lot of historical record about things that they actually said. And so they had to do all of the research. And then really what they had to do is, is figure out who that person was. And when the cameras rolled, they had to let that person come out. The way that I was able to keep true to the vision was, uh, it was interesting when we started rolling, I sat on the floor in front of ACAM and I would uh, interview this character and say, here's here's the part of the story we want to talk about. And here's the thing I'm interested in learning from you. And they'd give an answer. And sometimes they'd give two or three answers. We'd go back and get it or take out the pauses. 
But um, so I steered at least the content of it. But what I wound up with was 12 plus hours of footage that had to be distilled down to about a uh, hundred minutes. And it yeah. was months and months and months of editing to get there. Yeah. Oh, I don't doubt it in the least, man. I mean, were, were there ever any moments where you were kind of worried? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was worried. I mean, on, you know, I was worried on two counts. Um, the first thing, as you probably imagine, is do I actually have a film here? Right. right. In other words, did I get enough stuff to capture uh, this, the essence of this story? And then the second part was, can I actually make distill all this to make a film without cutting out so much important stuff? Because we could have made a miniseries out of this. We had so much footage. And yeah. so on the first, the first part, I wondered, is this going to be a 45 minute, you know, kind of short film? And then ultimately it wound up being something that I had to make a lot of uh, executive decisions on what to cut out and what to leave in. Um, one of the key points is that with a, a number of these characters that didn't have a lot of historical record to work with, they said things that may or may not actually be true. There's nothing historically to disprove it, but there might not be anything to prove it. And a lot right. of the things we left in, so there's going to be some eye-opening confessions maybe in this film that historians might not expect. That's really cool. I just think the whole thing is such a cool, creative sort of punk rock approach to storytelling. You know what I mean? How did you tell us a little bit about kind of your, your life and career leading up to deciding to make this film and make it this way? It's kind of like before I move on, I want to take a flashback here sure. into your life before this movie. Well, the way I got on my Billy the Kid kick was uh, back in the mid '80s. The Young Guns movie came out, the first one. I yeah. had—I was not a Western fan. I lived in New Jersey. I didn't know anything about Billy the Kid, and uh, my girlfriend at the time was just in love with Kiefer Sutherland, and so he was in the first movie, and so she just demanded that we go see it. So I sat there yawning, going, "Okay, well, let's just get this two hours over with." And then on the screen is this story starts to unfold and you realize it's about some guy named Billy the Kid, which I'd heard about, but didn't really know anything about. When yeah. Young Guns 2 came out a few years later, that really kicked it off for me. In fact, I didn't even realize, but on my desk, um, this one has been aged as a movie prop, but this was the first book that I ever bought by uh, Bob Utley, who's a historian, Billy the Kid, A Short and Violent Life. And that just kicked it off. I started reading um, everything I could and ultimately got on a plane and came down to New Mexico and spent some time in Southern New Mexico. And then I moved here 23 years ago. Jeez. So, yeah. So that's how I got here, how I got to make this film. I have, uh, my, my uh, history in the industry is two years. Uh, uh, I had a bucket list, uh, item that I wanted to fulfill, which to, was to be in a film or a TV show. And so as an actor, so I got a background part in some little sci-fi short they were shooting in Albuquerque, spent 12 hours overnight, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. shooting this thing. And I was I haven't seen it, but I think I was on screen for probably seven seconds at most. And I tell you, I hated it. I hated every moment of it. But whenever somebody would turn their head, I'd sneak out of the holding area and I'd run around and peek on set because to me, the the creation process, the choreography of you know, the AD and the first day, uh, the first AD and the PAs and just people moving all around and, and moving actors was fascinating. And so that sparked my desire to want to get into filmmaking. And so I've done, I've done a couple of shorts. I did a, a TV 
pilot. But when it came time for the first feature, I felt like this was one I could pull off with my experience and my budget. And so here we are. That's really cool, man. You know, with regard to the fact that, that the people that you, uh, the, the characters that you've resurrected for this, they're all period characters, you know, from the trailer, which we're going to show here in a little bit. I mean, what kind of, you know, you mentioned your, your experience, but also your resources. Um, you know, what about, what about that in terms of limited resources? How do you think that the style of filmmaking played into your resources that you had available? Does that make any sense? And did you have yeah. a lot of challenges and like headaches over that kind of shit or did it go pretty smooth? Yeah. Overall, it went pretty smooth. Um, I had a good crew that really helped out with the scheduling, but we were able to shoot everything we needed other than some B-roll, which we went back out to do in five days. Um, because you'll, and you'll see in the trailer here that you've got these seated interviews, uh, different, different sets uh, within the same building in some cases, uh, but definitely within the same area. And so what that allowed us to do was to be able to shoot three or four actors a day. There's not a scene anywhere where two actors interact with each other on the same set. Although when you're watching it, you may think that the actors were talking to each other or the characters were talking to each other because of the way that we've uh, knit these things together. And so from that standpoint, it allowed us to shoot relatively quickly. Um, we could just roll the cameras and and leave all the, you know, the, the uh, ponderous editing decisions to me later. Um, so that that's one of the reasons why I picked this format because I knew I could I could pull it off in a reasonable amount of time. Um, but with that said, we got a tremendous amount of help from the village of Fort Sumner, where we will premiere and where Billy is buried. They let us shoot right at his uh, tomb or right at his grave, which, to my knowledge, no other Billy the Kid film has ever happened. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, and then we shot a little bit in other, a couple other sets in New Mexico, and then one in Texas. That's very cool, man. Uh, let me pause for one second here because Joe has trained me well. What do you <laughs> want? <laughs> Unmute your microphone. Nobody can hear you. Sorry. Well, I didn't want any buzzing or anything going on, <laughs> so I muted the microphone. <laughs> So uh, our buddy Scotty has a question. What was the name of the book and the author again? I want to check it out. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Uh, and I, I judge this to be one of the better kind of nonpartisan books. It's called Billy the Kid, A Short and Violent Life. And it's written by Robert Utley, University of Nebraska Press. And, and that book yeah. right there kicked off a lifetime obsession. Yes, it did. For sure. You know, and it's interesting too, you know, you brought up the Young Guns movies, like people that when those movies came out, they were bagged on, but they were also loved. And they were even loved by a lot of the people who were hating on them because, you know, they took what a Western had never done before and put, you know, at the, you know, uh, uh, period um, A-list actors in it, set it to rock music. And they did some, they opened up a genre, I think, to a whole new generation of audiences. And it sounds like that's what happened with you when you saw them, you know, because up to, up to then it was, you know, the younger folks, they, they were watching the older Westerns and saying stuff like these are boring and blah, blah, blah. But then come these two movies that kind of changed that for a while and Hollywood actually tried to copy it in a bunch of different offshoots, which they, they never really got right. But those movies, man, they were like a perfect storm back then. I remember when they came out, that was a huge deal, those movies. You yeah, know? perfect timing, perfect casting. 
and uh, I think the thing that people complain about still to this day, the, the real sticklers for history is, oh, well, they didn't get all the facts straight. They didn't get all the details straight. And history is valuable, man. You know, everybody's got a different viewpoint on it. So I, I once asked somebody, hey, that was the Philly the Kid, how long do you think it would be? And they couldn't give me an answer. And I said, your script would probably be three or four pages. I mean, that's all you're going to get. You're going to have to imagine the rest. And so, again, that's kind of the reason we said, well, if we're going to imagine the rest, we might as well let the characters say it rather than me write it down. I think it's so cool. You basically just resurrected these all these, all these dead folks who were part of this story that people know very little about at the end of the day. And you gave them the power to do this. And, it, you know, it had to be it, it had to be one of the most collaborative experiences, um, you know, which is, you know, it's something that everybody talks about, but you don't get to see too many examples where, you know, true collaborative uh, efforts come together. You know, what was that like kind of collaborating? With, there had to be a lot of trust. Was there a lot of trust? Yeah, yeah, for sure there was, um, because, you know, I'm expecting uh, the, the one thing is I got a lot of messages from the actors after they were cast and they said, hey, can you tell me specifically what you're going to ask me? And my answer the same was the same every time. Thanks for asking, but no friggin way. Like, I want you on the spot to be this person and to, and to act like you were in an interview and you hadn't heard these questions. And so I did really have to trust that they were going to be able to you know come back and and bring enough factual evidence enough personality uh but man you watched especially some of the 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 women that we had that fulfilled these historical characters i mean they are that person i mean I, there was a couple times on set where i was crying based on what i was hearing and i was hopefully not loud enough that the sound could pick me up so i did trust them and they came through by and large. Uh, we left a ton of good stuff on the cutting room floor, but you know, in the digital world, it's you know, <laughs> it's it's here. So we're, we're <laughs> and you know, that that leads me to something else I want to talk to you a little bit about it. And you know, maybe um, maybe we can show the trailer and then. Well, that's what I was waiting for patiently. I didn't want to interrupt. So, you ready for that? Uh, I've got this candy for you, Joe. Alrighty then. <laughs> they say if they could get one final interview scores would be settled questions would be answered and history would finally be set straight 15 of his friends and his enemies have come back to tell their side of the story the secrets they took to the grave will finally be revealed in their own words Billy the Kid and the Lincoln County Board. What happened to my boys? Your bullet to my chest. I will never surrender. Look up, old boy. See what you get. Bye-bye, <laughs> Bob. I wish. He's asking Kenneth, who are the guys on the porch? 
¿Quién es? ¿Quién es? The last thing I heard from Pete was... That's him. Uh, now let's talk real quick before we get into some of the other questions about the editing process. First of all, uh, I think we're the, the audio was kind of low on that too, Joe. So that's your fault. Um, now moving on. Uh, <laughs> I always have to stop and talk Joe. Fair enough. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Hey, your audio is fixed. Is it? No, it's not. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was. I truly thought it was. I, that was not a joke. I actually thought your audio was I used to like you, George. The, the trailer looks great. Um, you know, it looks like you got some really good stuff. I think our audio levels are just a little low on it. Um, but uh, we'll get that all figured out eventually. It's still a pretty new thing for us. And it's kind of all just a learning process, you know, the whole way. But um, you had mentioned the editing process. How long did it take you to cut this thing? Because with non-scripted and multiple takes and all this other stuff, I mean, it had to take you, it had to drive you nuts to edit this thing. Yeah, and actually uh, one of the reasons that uh, we're, we're in such a time crunch here, because we're premiering a week from tomorrow, December 7th, and we're done, the edit's done, I'm waiting for a couple touch-ups on the score, uh, because I knew if I didn't set a deadline for myself, I put off starting the edit for so long, because honestly I was afraid of the amount of work it was gonna take but it took months for me to do the initial edit. And, and since I didn't have a, uh, a script to work with, I couldn't hand it to an editor with the footage and say, hey, you know, get me a rough cut. Um, right. So, you know, I, easily, I, I can't give you a number of hours, but it easily took me 10 weeks of work just to get the outline of the story. And what happens was, I mean, we didn't slate anything. There were no scenes. It was a free form interview. But we interviewed Billy for four or five hours. Well, Billy appears in almost every scene. So I've got to go through all of his footage. I've got to cut the lines I want. I got to storm somewhere and think they go in this scene, but then later on figure out they have to go somewhere else. So it was a huge challenge uh, that I didn't anticipate uh, being as much when I started. Um, so I would, if I were to do it again, I would do it a little bit differently um, and I would frame the scenes beforehand so I at least knew which pieces went where. And then once I got the rough cut, I handed it off to my editor who was able to then polish it up. But the trailer that you saw, I actually did edit because we wanted to get something out there to let people know we were working on. Yeah, very cool. Um, well, you know, in keeping with the spirit of the Indie Brigade, and if you haven't been uh, sent an invite to the community yet, you'll get one tonight. I hope you'll join it. Um, you, you know, we're a community of... Uh, Filmmakers, creatives, uh, business folks, um, all kinds of people dedicated to the punk rock spirit of the indie world. And um, we try to help each other out every step of the way and everywhere we can. We try to 
get people to collaborate. We've hooked up bands with movies already. And I don't know how much of this Joe already went over with, uh, with you about, but you know, we make a lot of uh, connections. That's the whole point. Uh, you know, the, the entertainment industry as a whole operated on personal connections for decades and decades and decades and decades. And uh, that became what's known as sort of the studio system that most people in the indie world kind of, you know, are a lot are, are allergic to with, you know, good reason on a lot of levels. Um, but that collaboration and that true spirit of, of what built this industry back in the day is what we're trying to not only resurrect, but keep alive um, with the Indie Brigade. And so you had said that, you know, there are a, a lot of things you would do differently. Uh, you know, I think probably the biggest question that I'd like to ask you on behalf of the Brigade uh, as sort of a teachable moment, um, you had mentioned that you would frame scenes differently uh, being that it's non-scripted, but I mean, can you drill into uh, just a little bit into some of the the learning moments that you, because a lot of people out there try to make films without a script and they try to just kind of run and gun, uh, but you've done it very successfully. And uh, I, I think it would be cool for the community to kind of just know a few things to, to look out for some big, uh, you know, slippery slopes and landslides that they might face when out there trying to sort of, you know, do that punk rock thing, and just get stuff made. You know, what's some shit for people to look out for and really, really stop and think about twice before they roll camera? Yeah, great. Yeah, I'd be happy to share. Um, as noted, uh, I think that you uh, would want to go into it with an idea of uh, what what the scenes were, or at least the main ideas for each scene or part of the movie, and would want to uh, you slay, <laughs> definitely slate your interviews so that you knew which part went where, um, so that at least you could capture that. The other thing I would have done differently, and I didn't do this once, so I wound up doing it at least five times, is that what I sh what I should have done is I should have gone back to each character's interview, whatever the, you know, four hours, two hours, and I should have cut all of the best lines from that, and I should have put them in a folder and said, you know, Billy, and then Charlie, and then Doc. I should have done that. And then I would have had, it would have been like going to the grocery store. I need to pick two of these and one of these, but I didn't do that because I thought, no, uh, this will be easier if I just follow the chronology of what their answers were. So what happened was we had a scene, uh, let's say the scene of the five-day battle at the end of the Lincoln County War. I'd have to remember all the characters that were in that, and then I'd have to go pull all their footage, and then I'd have to you know, scan and watch through until I got to those parts, and I'd start cutting. So what I would wind up with on my timeline was 10 clips of Billy, 15 clips of Tunstall, you know, eight clips of this guy. And then I would have to start mixing and matching and arranging them so that it formed a story arc. That seems relatively simple, except when you do the next scene, you realize that some of the things you didn't use and didn't save are in the next scene. So I had to go through the entire process again. I mean, this same section of footage, I got to cut and then I got to mix together. So I certainly could have done a uh, a better job of that um and I, I i think going into it uh you know having a better more thought out and when written out plan and having the crew help with that would have made this a little easier process interesting that's really cool well listen i i have more questions i'd love to ask you joe is back i see him hey joe <laughs> hey uh well I, i've got one question on here but i got a couple of stills that michael sent also that i want to bring on screen while uh the conversation is going on so i don't want anybody to think that you guys are blacking out or anything there's going to be pictures on there for michael if you're not aware what 
the way the program works. So first of all, the question from Craig is, with the interviews being unscripted, were each of the actors experts of their characters? Yeah, so that's a great question, Craig. Um, the answer is some of them were. So uh, some of my actors were actually historical reenactors that uh, were already intimately and in, uh, you know knowledgeable about the character they were portraying. And others were actors who had no, absolutely zero knowledge of the character they were portraying. And so they were assigned as homework for a couple months in advance some areas of study. So I would give them some pertinent links and information to uh, read up on and study. But again, I did not tell them what I was going to ask them. They needed to come with the, with the full wagon of information about their character. And I could have asked them about 10% of it or 100% of it. And, uh, and they all did really wonderfully. Excellent. So, so quick question for you. Would you uh, uh, rather have somebody who's an actor or somebody who's an expert? Which one is a better for what you were trying to do? Which one's better? Yeah, there's a there's a fork in the road there, right? Yeah. Um, where, where you say, what, what am I going for here? Um, I I believe that I would say if I were to do this again, uh, which I am actually with a different story, uh, I would choose actors who could really portray a a, a strong performance and. I would give them enough information so that they could uh, work with me to kind of craft whatever that performance would be. With that said, the reenactors that we got here were uh, were incredible. Uh, I was blown away by their performance. And the other beautiful beautiful thing about reenactors is they come with their own wardrobe, their own correct sidearms. I mean, you don't have to invest any more money in getting them to look the part because they already look the part and they know every answer probably more than I did as the director. So it was a nice mix. Um, but I, I, I would say that uh, unless they've done any acting before, you have to be prepared to spend some more time and do some more editing to make sure you get the best stuff that you need. Sure. Well, that was a beautifully navigated answer. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have one last thing I want to talk to you about. And we've got some other guests up here. And when you bring them up, uh, I sure hope that you'll be, if you have nothing better to do on Friday, just hang out and maybe, you know, be part of a Q&A later. Talk For sure. Pretty cool shit. Uh, but in terms of, uh, so first of all, what's coming up next? Second of all, tell us about the premiere of this. And I want to know about your distribution plans for, for after the premiere. What you're going to do? You got it. So we're premiering December 7th in the village of Fort Sumner, where Billy's uh, grave is. Uh, this, the village was just tremendously helpful in the Chamber of Commerce. And so it's free. So if you have any uh, viewers or listeners that are in and around New Mexico and you want to attend, we have a few seats left. Um, and all you need to do is go to the website, which I'm sure you'll put the link up um, at some point. And you can get you'll have to have a ticket to get in. Um, and so we're, we're really excited. Some of the actors will be there and we'll do a Q&A afterwards. Uh, my distribution plan is three, three parts. Um, first part is that uh, the film is available or will be available on DVD. And those will ship on December the 9th. I found that a number of folks that are in this world of uh, Old West history are more high touch. They want something tangible rather than stream it. And so with some market research, I determined that we'd want to do a DVD release later in January. 
we will uh, release on Amazon Prime Video, uh, which will be a rental or purchase on there. And then uh, early in the spring, we'll do a limited theatrical run of some indie theaters around the Southwest. So I'll essentially take the film on a barnstorming tour and uh, hopefully have some of the actors with me when we get to do that. Um, that's the distribution plan for this film. I feel good about you know generating a, uh, or a profitable result based on that. Um, but we'll be looking and seeing, you know, where we have some other avenues for distribution, um, you know, international would be great as well. Very cool. Uh, do you want to tell everybody where they can find this, whether it's give us all the social media, give us the website, because Joe will probably put a typo or something. Sure. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the Phil or my production company's website, Mankind Productions, it's mankindpro, mankindpro.com. And you can, uh, you'll see uh, the page there right on the main page where you can click, get all information on the film. For folks that want to order the DVD, they can do it there. And uh, the trailer's there as well. Um, you can find, in their own words, Billy the Kid in the Lincoln County War on Facebook. Uh, or you can just look up me if you can spell my name. And, uh, of course, I'd love to connect with any uh, fans or historians or uh, critics. Then, you know, any no press is bad press. And uh, you can find me at the real MAG on uh, Twitter. Very cool. Um, well, listen, I hope you'll join the community, man, and, and, and you know, be a voice in there. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, there's a uh, continued dialogue that we should probably have moving forward. Uh, yeah, I for sure. For, can't thank you enough for coming on here. I uh, really hey, thank you. you gave up your Black Friday. So, thank you, thank you, thanks, friend. guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Get Joe a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Every guest catches on so fast. Uh, now you see, ladies and gentlemen, if you buy merchandise from Andy Brigade, it'll go to your microphone. That's it. All right. Thanks again, Michael. Good night. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> That was cool. Is my mic still bad? Yeah, man. It's it's it literally sounds. You ever you ever see somebody on stage with like a hand mic and they get too close to it, where it sounds like they're talking up on it? That's what it sounds like. It's great. Damn, I'm really not liking this. All right. Like uh, running software updates or doing you know bullshit that we messed up. Wow, that wouldn't be professional, would it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, I'm going to bring Pat up, and let, let's see. Uh, I'll let you introduce Pat. Pat Jagwicks, how are you doing this evening, sir? Not bad, George and Joe. How are you, Pat? Awesome. We don't care how Joe's doing. Well, yeah, I'm going to bow out because apparently I have a bad mic right now. <laughs> Pat, it is so nice to see you. We've been talking on the phone a lot lately. It's nice to... To see you, even though we can't be in the same room, it's nice to do it this way, man. Thank you for coming out Black Friday. It means the world to me. The pleasure is mine, George. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You know, first, I think it's important that we introduce you. And I, I, I generally ask my guests to kind of do that because uh, they, you know, you, everybody seems to speak better about their own stuff than somebody else. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of filling everybody in on, on who you are and, and what you do, and, and then we'll go from there. Okay, sounds good. Um, I'm a writer in Southern California. I've written uh, for Fangoria. I write for Titan Publishing. I write for Infinity. I write for Star Trek, the magazine. I write for Star Wars Insider. Um, as an actor, I've done about 35 com national commercials. 
Uh, I'm in the first $6 burger commercial. Uh, I've done Coca-Cola, Dippin' Dots, Geico. Um, I've done about 30, 35 commercials. Uh, besides that, I've written about three, almost four books as soon as I'm done with this one and get it off. And uh, just a little bit of this and that, you know. Yeah, and, you know, one of the favorite stories is, first of all, we met years ago uh, at a convention in L.A., but you also worked with another Romero. You worked with my father, uh, which is I did. Cool. I did. Yeah, no, I did a Japanese TV commercial with your father. Uh, a guy named Mike Deke and I were picked by your father to be the main zombies. Your dad also gave me uh, this. Again, I'm from the Midwest where your dad is like Spielberg. You know, people in California aspire to be Spielberg. People in the Midwest want to be your dad and now Sam Raimi, you know, because I'm from Detroit. So even Sam Raimi told me it was your dad who really was what he was aspiring for in the first film. Yeah. And uh, I did a commercial with him and he gave me zombie lessons. Your dad actually told me how to be an effective zombie. <laughs> I, uh, as somebody who's witnessed some of those lessons, man, I can tell you that was probably a lot of fun for you. It was fun for me. It's weird. So he goes, I don't. I hate doing this shit. I hate doing this. He goes, on the phone. He goes, I told everyone, walk like this, and he does like a Frankenstein pose. And he goes, and when I said rolling on the next shot, everybody did the Frankenstein pose. <laughs> so your dad hated it, but he would have to give every zombie a different lesson. Otherwise, he said they would all do the one thing he showed them. <laughs> You know, it's so funny because, like, I picture that entire story in. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to just laugh. I just, uh, I it's it's kind of interesting. That's really funny. <laughs> I did, I did. Uh, I'm going to bring up some pictures, if I may, because there there's some pretty cool stuff that Pat has done. Even though my mic sounds like crap, I apologize. Um, okay, first of all, Pat, I know there's a story behind this. Please tell us. Or can you see that, Pat? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Where, 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 oh, right there. Okay. That's from the Fallen in Reverse video I just did. Uh, popular Monster. I'm a little eating a bunch of cops. <laughs> nice. I'm, then... I'm, I'm six foot nine. And I grew up on horror movies, so I do a lot of creature gigs as well. So uh, that's Popular Monster. We shot that last month. It has a million five hits on uh, on YouTube already. I'm aware wow. of a bunch of people in a police station. <laughs> that's awesome. So is this affiliated with that? <laughs> I think everyone should be aware of it. Oh, yeah, that's, okay, that's Olga and that's Hunter Larson. Olga on the left with a beautiful Russian last name. She designed the monster, and the girl on the left in my tattered clothes. That's cool. Where can people go to see it? You said it's got a million five on YouTube. What do they look up to see it? Uh, look up, uh, uh, go to uh, uh, Falling, uh, what is it? The Falling in Reverse's website, or just punch in Falling in Reverse on the popular monster on YouTube. Look them up. Um, listen, tell us a little bit about, because here's we're going to transition into the Q&A portion of tonight's show uh, pretty soon. 
And um, you know what I'm what I'd love to talk to you about is just the access that you've had, um, and and the, the life that you've led is is such an interesting one. And you've gotten to to really be you, you've gotten so personal with so many people in this business for them to to open up to you as a writer for so many outlets and the books you've written. Um, you, you know, you've, you've done some phenomenal pieces, man. And, and people just seem to Thank kind you. of open up to you, um, kind of in ways that they don't open up to other people. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, like, how did you end up kind of going down this path and, and saying, well, I'm going to write these books and I'm going to, I'm going to talk to all these people that nobody ever gets to talk to. How did you, how did you decide on this life? Well, I'm from, I'm like you, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Michigan. And as a kid in Michigan, you know, being a movie fan in Michigan, movies were like 3,000 miles away. And mm -hmm. then my father, my father bailed on the auto industry and went into aerospace. So we, so we wound up, my family wound up moving when I was a teenager. In California, and at school in California, people were still talking about movies like 3,000 miles away when they were really just 15 minutes, you know? Yeah. Uh, there was a spokeswoman who would do all the movies, you know, sell all the materials for government stuff. It was Judith O'Day. Yeah, you know, so Judy O'Day. When I was in college, I did a, uh, I did a local movie show called Janky Goes to Hollywood, and Judy Judy O'Day, God bless her, came on my show. My brother Don and I, my cameraman Terry, we met Judy O'Day in the park, and she was she couldn't have been nicer, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, she's a sweetheart. You know, so once, so uh, so George, once I came out to California. I couldn't wait to start seeing how movies are made and work on them. So when I was in high school, my brother Donald, my brother Donald Jankowitz is kind of devious. He's my younger brother, but he's really, really sharp. And on, he's got, oh, I don't know if I, I don't want to build up too much. He's got rat leg cunning. So he found out if you would, uh, uh, you would find where people have filed film permits, we would crash movie sets on the weekends. You know, uh, uh, and then, of course, we were like 15, 13. We had to find someone who could drive to get us to the set. So, we, you know, usually we were locked out. If one of our friend's parents were divorced, they could be gone all night long without freaking anyone out. You know what I mean? Whereas, <laughs> that sounds terrible, but it's true. No, so it, what it, happened is uh, <laughs> we're crashing movie sets and we're meeting people like the Kyoto Brothers. The Kyoto Brothers, who did Killer Cons from Outer Space, when I was 15 years old, one of, the, one of the Kyoto's came up to me and he goes, he goes, you don't belong here. I'm, I'm tall, by the way. So I was able to pass for older. And I was, because I was 15, I couldn't get down to a set without someone driving. Then one of the Kyoto brothers said to me, you don't belong here. And I thought, oh my God, he knows I'm a kid. He knows I'm a fake. And I said, how did you know? And he said, it's three o'clock in the morning. We're all being paid shit. And you're the only guy smiling. So I felt really good about that, you know? So I started crashing movie sets and then I started writing. Uh, uh, I found in college, if I wrote for the magazines, it would give me a reason to be down there. 
Yeah. And then uh, um, my brothers, Don, and my late brother, Tom Jankowitz, we wrote a commercial that wound up being directed by David Lynch. And David Lynch hired me to star in the commercial we'd written. So that got me my SAG card. So I found I could double my access. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, uh, either as a reporter or getting cast in something and work with a bunch of filmmakers I really like, you know? That's very cool. You know, it's funny because uh, these days, I don't think, I don't think the idea of crashing a set is something that crosses a lot of minds these days. You know, I, I used to crash sets all the time uh, because most of the yes. time I would spend with my dad was, you know, on a, on, at a studio or somewhere, you, you know, where there was a set to crash. And I would do just that. And I would, uh, I would hear somebody in some department say, where's my fucking this or where's my fucking that? And I would, I would walk over with it and hand it to them. They'd say, who the fuck are you? And I'd say, oh, Cameron, you know, they'd be like, all right, well, go get me this. And I'd go, you know, <laughs> next thing you know, I, here I'm running for various departments. And that's how I kind of, that's kind of how I started on some of the sets, you know, after going to, uh, I went to. Well, the, George, that's a great question. Did, did you get bitten by the bug before you went on sets or after? I think um, it was a little bit of, of both. I mean, the first time I saw Night of the Living Dead was um, there was an old reel of it uh, in the basement of this house I grew up in with an old projector because my dad used to make my mom and dad met. My mom actually hired my dad to do a bunch of like tourism films for the state of Pennsylvania. And so that's how they met. And um, so there was this shelf in our basement that had these old film cans and um, and this projector. And I got the projector out one night when it wasn't supposed to. And I start loading up these tourism films that my dad made. And I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. This is like good shots of Pennsylvania. And I, I found another one and I was like, what's this? And I put it on and it was a, it was a print of Night of the Living Dead. And I'm sitting in this like, you know, damp, like damp, dark, dingy basement watching the 16 millimeter print of Night of the Living Dead. And my mom walked in and found me. Wow. And she, <laughs> wow. And, uh, no, yeah. no, when, what was the first, what was the first time you said, I can do this? You know what I mean? When, when was the first time you really felt as a director, you can step into it, you know? The first time, the first time I ever wanted to do it was when I was a little kid. And I went to the set of Night Riders with my dad and I watched the kind of choreographed chaos that happens. Uh, but the first time I ever wow. thought I could was uh, actually in Florida around 95 when um, I was posed with a, a sort of a challenge. And I ended up stepping in and, and directing uh, a full length feature when I was 17 or 18. Um, wow, see, that's amazing. You know, and it was, uh, it, it never, never went anywhere, never saw the light of day, but I did it and I dragged it across. But the you made line. it, you finished it. Yeah. And I dragged it across the finish line and I cut it on a steam back and, you know, with a razor blade and, and I recorded the audio on Nagra and, and, you know, and I did it the old school way, man. And I, you know, and I sat there and went insane with all the short ends dangling around me and everything. And, and, uh, and I knew then that this was something that I could do. Um, and then from there, it just became about how do I keep doing it? 
And I think that that becomes the struggle for all of us is, is how do you keep doing it, you know, and how do you do it better the next time or how do you do it different the next time or how do you learn from your mistakes and move forward? It's kind of like anything creative, right? Whether it's, it's writing or filmmaking or cinematography or woodworking or cooking or, you know, anything creative, uh, you, you know, you do it, uh, you just want to keep doing it and want to keep creating and you just want it to be a little different next time or a little little bigger next time or a little smaller next time. You just have to keep doing it, right? I mean, and as a writer, you've got to feel some of that, right? Oh, yeah, easily. You know what I mean? I mean, it's no getting in isn't the hard part. Staying in is, you know? That's right. That's right. It's, you know, they, what do they say? It's uh, uh, it's not it's not what opens the door for you. It's, it's whether or not you can stay in the room, right? Right, right, right. You got to stay at the party, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, and then they also, the other thing I tell people is the only business where you can die from encouragement. So, you know, and I think that that stays in, in keeping with the, you know, as a creative and as an independent, as a punk rock independent, you have to focus on your yourself. You have to keep yourself going because it's so hard. Uh, it's such an industry where so many people will try to stop you. There. It's true, you know. I mean, but but to me, you making a movie at seventeen. I mean, I love that. I, you know, did you ever? Were you terrified, or were you just knew you could finish it? I started out terrified, and then ended up pissed off. And that's I think when I knew I could do it for a living. <laughs> yeah. See, to me, that's the exciting part. I mean, you made a damn movie at seventeen. You know. Yeah. Well, I had made, you know, I have all those like backyard stories from when I was a little kid, but it was the first time I ever took on a real 90 minute thing and we got it done and we pulled off some insane shit. I had a shot, you know, and I did all the stuff. I had a shot that was longer than the opening shot of the player, you know, because I wanted a shot that was longer than the opening shot of the player, you know? <laughs> by the way, by the way, I love that there's a teenage boy aspiring to outdo Altman. <laughs> it was a nightmare. It took us two days to set up the shot and ten minutes to get it. You know, so that was what I, I was lucky. And but but to me, I mean, uh, that's lucky. I, my big brother, my big brother Tom, did all these eight Super Eight movies. We started out doing all the Super Eight stuff, so we we're already kind of inculcated into that. Yeah. And then uh, one summer, he made friends with an Australian kid who was passing through uh, Michigan named Mark Savage. Do you guys know who Mark Savage is? I do not. Yeah. Okay, Mark Savage is this great Australian uh, uh, filmmaker. He's done stuff like Sensitive New Age Killer. My brother and him met his kids, and he just showed us some new tricks, and it was like, it was like the monolith in 2001. After Mark was done, our movies improved by quantum leaps, you know? Yeah. It's funny when someone shows you something. And, you know, that's it's funny you bring that up, too, because that's the whole point of the Indie Brigade is, you know, we, we've got a community of, of young filmmakers and new filmmakers and, and people just out there trying to figure it out, punk rock, and get it done. And, you know, it's, it's people like you and a guy who's going to come on in a minute named Mick and, you know, everybody who's been a part of this community right. so far. That's what we're all about. We're about showing those tricks 
to the new guys. You know what I mean? And and giving them the information that people like oh, you yeah, totally. had to sneak around. We had to steal our knowledge, man. Like if we wanted to learn something, we had to steal it because we weren't uh, we weren't invited. Yes, yes. Yeah, if you're crashing the party, nobody's going to show you how to do anything unless you pick it up fast. That's right. That's right. And so that's what the that's what the brigade is about. It's about spreading that knowledge. Uh, so I'm thrilled that you're here. Um, and you know, I think what might be a good thing at this point is to go ahead and kick off our Q and A. Maybe bring Mick on a little bit. Well, I, before we do that. Grand Mick Strawn, man, uh, his work is amazing. I mean, Buffy and everything else, you know. Good. I'm glad that you complimented him because he's he's he doesn't have a big head and and he doesn't know that he's good. So maybe he'll come on in a good mood this time. Okay. He's not ego driven whatsoever. <laughs> be, be, before we do that, though, Mick started out the, the hidden. The hidden was his first friggin' movie as a PD. I I can see Mick in the background doing this. He's like, yes. So he's down there. Before we do that, though, um, Pat sent me some stills of his books that I really wanted to flash up real quick if we could and touch on those for a couple of seconds. Uh, So the Buck Rogers one. So tell us about that. I'm sorry, Joe. I'm straining to hear that. I heard a question, but I... Go ahead, Joe. Ask your question. I don't know if he can actually hear me or not because of my mic issues. Okay. George? What'd you do, Joe? I didn't do anything. I hit my mute button for a second. Connection? Okay. okay, how about now, Joe? Can you hear me? Yes, absolutely. So I, so I got the Buck Rogers in the 25th century book pulled up. What can you tell us about that? Well, it was one of those things. It was a it was a ripoff on Star Wars, but it was a really charming ripoff on Star Wars. And when I did the book, there'd never been anything on this series, you know? And I found out there's a huge co-following. I mean, it runs on MeTV every Saturday night across the country. And when I pitched this book, they wanted the book. Finding the, the stories, the book started with an interview with Aaron Gray. I did an interview with the actress Aaron. Never heard. But by the way, great title. I told him to read this picture Yeah. Especially the one episode when the dude and her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Space Vampire. Listen to me. Yes. Hey, by the way, Joe and George, not to let you down. She's the world's hottest grandmother now. <laughs> what the, the amazing thing is I did an interview with her and like George was saying earlier she answered so sincerely and with complete honesty all I could think of during this interview is there's a book in this her stories were so crazy there was a book in this and then every time I talked to someone from the show the stories increased uh, Gil Gerard, great guy was a friend of Bill Clinton's before I was president uh, um, the, the writer of the show, Alan Bernard, the story of it, they had a showdown with Gil Gerard. I mean, Gil Gerard was funding the show's writers. The stories alone on this, it made an amazing book, this whole battle. It seems like a, um, it seems like a cheese ball sci-fi show, but 
There was every week on that show was a death match. It was really amazing to watch. <laughs> All right, we got to run through these quickly. So next one I'm pulling up up is the Hulk. Thirty seconds or less. Go. Tell us about this book. <laughs> yeah, the. This, this one was a lot of fun. First of all, I would argue that the Incredible Hulk TV series is the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. And when you looked at the show, you know, in the, at the time the Hulk debuted, no sci-fi show had gone, no superhero show had gone more than three years. Three years was the limit. Hulk went fun. And I think that it was a really smart, different show, you know? And not only that, it had follow-up TV movies. Oh, yeah. The TV movies are great. Having him become the Hulk, and he treats it like cancer. Remember, he gives... Bill Bixby every week is trying to cure his own condition. And every week, it literally, it's a self-interested hero. Every week, he's trying to solve his own problem, and he somehow helps people who get in his way between him and his goal of getting rid of the Hulk. Plus, I mean, it's been quality time with Stan Lane. Yes. All right. And the last one that I have on here is Jaws. Yes. All right, boys. I, my, I have the firm conviction that Jaws is the greatest American film ever made. <laughs> it is a perfect movie. And I wanted to do a book on all four movies because I wanted to know how the hell you got from the original Jaws to the shark swimming the Bahamas to eat the rest of the family. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote the book just to find out how they can fuck it up so badly. <laughs> and I did, I found out. I mean, uh, you know, and uh, to me it was amazing. Uh, uh, one of the things, one of the best parts of that book, I covered, uh, um, I had to go I, in the middle of the, in the middle of the year, I found out that Peter Benchley and everyone else was going to be on Martha's Vineyard. And so at the last minute, tickets were too expensive. I grabbed all my gear and my brother Donald and I traveled cross country. We drove to friggin' Martha's Vineyard. And I spent the summer interviewing. I spent about four days freezing my ass off. It wasn't even summer. It was like April. So it was cold as hell on the island. I ended up interviewing everybody who worked on Jaws, who I, had, I didn't get out here. We have a lot of people who worked on it in California. But I got every Islander who was in the movie on the Martha's Vineyard. And uh, by the way, you know, I ran into and made friends with Greg Nicotero, who's a huge Jaws dude. Yeah, Greg's great. Greg is one of my favorite people who ever actually lived in. I think he's awesome. He'd just come off a of land of the dead, so he, he's moon circles. He had half moon circles on his, under his eyes. But he oh. caught a red eye to get there and he goes, he was utterly exhausted. He said he'd done eight weeks in Canada in total darkness, waiting to get to Martha's Vineyard. Alright, well... Uh, on that note, I think I'm going to slowly start bringing people back in. Uh, we're we're going to start with Mick. Um, I'm going to bow out for a couple of minutes just so Mick can introduce himself. That, was, that, that was supposed to be... A, a, okay, no, nothing. Bye, Joe. Uh, wow. 
Okay. Uh, uh, wow. Uh, okay, Mick. Uh, Apparently, Joe's leading now, so you can introduce yourself. Mick's drawn, man. Wow. <laughs> wow. That, uh, I ran across a fan. Yo, yeah. How the hell did that happen? Listen, this is why I wanted to, when you and I were talking yesterday, I thought this Pat is just such a great guy to bring you on with Mick. <laughs> I, I'm excited for this because, uh, well, I think we're all about to figure out why. Uh, Pat, Mick, Mick, Pat. Well, go ahead. Hi, Mick. Can you talk about the your first movie as a production designer is an amazing friggin' movie. Please talk about The Hidden. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, the Hidden was uh, was actually uh, came out after Nightmare on Elm Street three, and so we we actually art directed and production designed Nightmare on Elm Street three. It's just that New Line Cinema didn't know the difference between the two titles, so we got art director. Wow! And then my sister and I started on the Hidden, and uh, well, your sister worked in the two. She did. She was actually the set. She would work as a set dresser for me whenever we worked together, and I and I would work uh, more as the production designer. And it kind of depended on the show. By the way, what's her name? You should plug her. It's your sister. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, uh, she's dead, but her name is C.J. Strawn. She's uh wow. she died in, a, in an airplane accident about five years ago over LA, uh, up in Calabasas. Yeah. But, wow! Oh, beautiful Calabasas, home of the pumpkin festival. Yes. <laughs> you you want to hear? You want to hear? And they shot Planet of the Apes. The Ape City is in Calabasas. <laughs> you want to hear a really really weird story? Yes. This, this is really weird. I do. So, <laughs> sorry, George. <laughs> after, after my sister died, I moved to a little tiny town in um, Washington to lick my wounds and and to uh, hang out with my uh, grandchildren. Um, and there was a film festival there in in this town called Kennewick, right? And there was a film festival, mm -hmm. and and naturally they they kind of like got me in because they found out who I was and and. They tracked me down. They said, you have to come down to the film festival. You have to, uh, you, you can do some announcing and stuff like that. So I'm at the film festival and I meet a filmmaker and he did, he was doing a film. Uh, a, he, he had just put it on the circuit and it was about a group of people in LA that uh, took care of, of um, animals other than dogs and cats that hung around with with the, the uh, it was an animal rescue group, right? And they mm -hmm. like bobcats and and stuff like that, and 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 they did an animal rescue thing, right? And I'm not kidding. He and I hit it off, and he says, "Hey, listen, I'm getting an award today. Come on <laughs> down. You and, and you can sit right by me." You know, in the theater, and they had this just nice theater that they had set up for it, right? And I'm sitting there, I'm sitting next to him, and and so they show the film, right? And at the very end of the film is a piece, and I'm not kidding, I'm watching the piece, and and they say there's this fire, 
that's happened in the hills of Calabasas. And we went in, we saved these horses, right? From that were in a, um, in a corral, a big corral. And they pan off of, I'm not kidding. They pan off of my sister's airplane accident, which is what caused it. And they pan off of that onto the horses freaking out right next door, right? It's all in the same scene. And I'm like, holy crap. And I, and the only thing that I could think of was I had to get out of there. And so just they, they get to the end of that segment and, and I just kind of stood up and went, oh, that's, and I turned around to head out. And the guy who, literally the guy who was filming that just probably a year earlier, right? The guy that was filming that goes, hey, man, c- come on, you, you, you can sit sit down and say, I said, no, no, really. I got, I got to go. And I, I'm a, and he follows me up the aisle trying to talk me back. Oh no. And I'm, and he doesn't understand. And I'm like having trouble finally. And finally we get halfway up the aisle. And I said, listen, man, this is about my sister that my sister was there at that. And he goes, well, you can, Call her up and tell her that you met me. <laughs> and I just kind of went, uh, and I and, and I finally just like I literally ran out of the theater. So now wow. here's the thing. That's kind of funny, but it's also a really weird story. It was a weird thing to have gone through. And what a weirdo, weird ass coincidence, right? Yeah, yeah. you know what? It's fucked up, is what it is. And you know, (laughs) it was it was was fate just going here, boom, 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 boom. (laughs) You know, I think it's funny that in this industry, you know, so many people in this industry, when we have tragedy or loss, um, it always seems to be partnered with some fucked up story. Like, you know, there's always like it's not bad enough. That, that, that shit happens bad. It's it's gotta just kind of kick you in the balls a little extra, and you know I, I'm sure it happens to more than just people in this industry. But it seems like people in this industry, it's like it's always just one thing. You know, something terrible and life altering happens, and then here comes the universe to just go, "Hey, you don't feel bad enough yet." The universe comes out and goes, "Think." <laughs> well, anyway, I, that that was actually quite a while ago but it was it was such a strange strange thing Um, yeah but uh we did uh we did the hidden we did nightmare on the street three and i was the lead wow and she was my set dresser and then we did the hidden and uh i dealt with all the uh, effects and stunts and and uh and building stuff and and all the rest um it was um, it was kind of the relaxing film after the really really tense and weird film, you know. Uh, yeah. It was. Yo, yeah. Hidden was a lot of fun. We, we had we had a great time. Uh, you know, the thing is, is we had seven Ferraris that had to go out wow. and, and make one Ferrari, right? And I'm not kidding. They had a mechanic that was there, literally lived with the cars 
And, and his chances, I swear to God, he would go down the morning, and in the morning, it would be like, oh, which one's going to run today? <laughs> they were they were a nightmare. The only thing I could think of was, was that if I, if I had... If I was on a film again that was about Ferraris, I would rip the motor out and put a Ford Pinto motor in it. <laughs> Just so it would freaking run. Elvis Trick Dream Warriors is considered the best of the series. Did, do you and Craven feel that way? Um, yeah, you know what? I, I think uh, Craven still liked his, the, the first. Uh, better uh, I uh, I like I the third you, you know what we had to do in the third though really is what we were trying to do is we were trying to, to reverse the trend and the trend was this you have a film and it's popular right especially especially a horror film you have a film and it's popular um, and genre films in particular like a, a comedy and what what's the return on the next one right next one in the series is going to be half what the original was, but you're sure it's not going to be a bomb. You see what I'm saying? So it kind of goes down the line like that. You don't, you don't expect like the, uh, the third or the fourth is, is, is going to be on a still ever diminishing return on its investment. Right. And Bob Shea really needed a win because he was, He, he he wasn't doing so well after two, right? <laughs> so, so yeah, two two actually lost money <laughs> and brain cells. I mean, you know what the hell? What what happened there, right? You know, hey, look, I, I wrote a book about four, and um, I called it behind the screams. I'm writing a book about three now, and it's going to be behind the screams three, and I'm going to skip having a behind the screams two because they should have they should have too. <laughs> so anyway in the third one what we were trying to do is it, it, everybody had a, this job first of all Craven did the greatest job of um, of coming up with a group of people and a way of pulling people into the dreams so that you didn't have the Superman problem and you guys I'm sure know what the Superman problem is right You know, it, it, how, how do you write a how do you write a story about Superman when you can't do anything to kill him, right? I mean, yeah, you can't be defeated. Uh, you can't be defeated. So, <laughs> so they had to create kryptonite, you know, just so that you could have a plot, right? So the thing is, is that's the Superman problem. We and Freddy had a Superman problem himself because you know after two movies, what did everybody know about Freddy? You go to sleep and you die. Yep. Point. So what he did was he created this ability to pull somebody else into your dream. And and therefore you could get a group together and now you were back into a dynamic situation again. You know, because they could get together wow. and, and figure out a way to fight, right? So that was that was element one. The second element was that we were gonna let um, Robert England off the chain, you know. That everybody, you know, says, "Oh, we made him into a comedian and stuff like that," and really, I don't know if that's quite what we did as much as just took advantage of who Robert England is, because Robert England is an actor. He's a great actor. I mean, yeah. 
he's got, you know, he had this the style that he worked out, and he had the. We just tapped into his sense of humor. I mean, he's an incredibly, incredibly sharp guy. I mean, an awful lot of his stuff, you know, he just came up with or he tweaked it himself until he got it the way that really? he Really? Was that living in the movie? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's like, um, it's funny. If you listen to the dialogue and if there's a hook at the end of it, you know, a, a kind of like the special hook, he's the one that wrote the hook. I can tell you every time. Like, for instance, uh, uh, Welcome to Prime Time, bitch. That's the same line I was going to ask you about. That was him. I mean, that he came up with that. You know, he, like he could always come up. You know, you could write the dialogue out, but he'd always come up with that little twist at the end. You know, so first of all, you're making a group. Plus, it's a, it's a Hollywood joke in the middle of this horror sequel. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, but but then it got a little bit too much when we got down to you, you know to like uh, the the sixth one. You know, it's like it was a little bit. Two of an end, two of <laughs> So, um, so you have that. You, you have those two elements, but then the third element was mine because I said, "Well, you know what? We're not going to do this way that we did last time. We're going to be primarily on a set, on a stage for this. And when we go into a dream, we're going to go into a dream. You know, we're going to get, we're going to just blow everything out and use our imagine and use our imaginations." Just like filmmakers. <laughs> Say it ain't so. Hey, by the way, uh, George Dean is watching. Also, he's joined us. Hey, Dino. So, just so you know, he, he's watching and he's commenting. Got to give a shout out to Dean. Awesome. I, Dean. Ron, Ron Pertree is bringing up all the great questions here. <laughs> he, he says, "Well, listen. I want to get into that. I want to get into the Q and A stuff because we've got uh, we've got a couple of different." prongs to this uh, Q&A session tonight. We've got uh, Mick Strawn here to talk about um, his experience as a production designer, which you've just heard some great stories about. We've got Pat here, uh, who's an author and uh, what I like to call a media specialist. Um, and so what I'd like to do is kind of just, if it's okay with you guys, I'd like to just kind of give some people some guidelines and see if there's any questions or if this concept is going to fall flat on its face. But I, I think, um, you know, what I would like people to be able to ask about is, uh, you know, the concept came from uh, obviously conversations with Nick and conversation with that, where, you know, one of the things that happens with a lot of these punk rock indie um, filmmakers like, uh, like all of us is that we get a movie made and we got to get the word out. And, you know, so now we've got to reach out to some media outlets and, uh, you know, a lot of times when I talk to some, some indie guys out there, they say, well, I'm reaching out, but I'm not hearing back or I'm getting rejected from this media outlet or that media outlet. And one of the things that I kind of wanted to open up questions about was, you know, uh, from all of our collective experience, what are some ways through some of those doors for some of these indie guys who are just trying to get eyeballs on their film, number one? Uh, and then in terms of production and everything else, uh, anything that people would, would like to kind of fire at us uh, when it comes to physical production or the business of marketing or advertising, uh, not only our films and our projects, but ourselves as independent creators. I figured this is a pretty good panel for them. It absolutely is, but I have to interrupt if I may. Um, for those that are joining us for the first time, uh, we 
we can only bring up questions from the Romero Indie Brigade picture. Yeah, Romero Pictures Indie Brigade Facebook page or YouTube channel. So we have this widespread right now through many groups, pages. We can only see the comments from our Facebook page or our YouTube channel. That's the only way we can pull them up on screen. Oh, okay. You know what? I want to throw one out on, on just what you're talking about, George. Um, I have a personal opinion is that um, that there are too many people out there that um, are uh, going falling into the festival trap. And I call it the festival trap because <laughs> you, you get, uh, first of all, stop making short films. I mean, you can make them if you want to show off something in particular, but, uh, you know, nobody cares, uh, in in the long run, it's, it's not a product. There is no place out there that says, Hey, we'll show, we'll show your short film all the time. (laughs) It ain't going to happen. Well, devil's advocate. How does that go with fan films? Well, don't, you know what? You need to have a very specific reason you're making a fan film. If you're making a fan film, you have to know what you're doing. The, the first is, is this, is if you're making it for fans, that is a wonderful thing, but there's not gonna be, you're not gonna sell it anywhere. But if, because I, you can accuse me of making a fan film. Uh, I did Vengeance, right? Uh, I'm not making any accusations. But we had a very specific reason for it, is for one thing, it is future length. Another thing is it introduces a lot of characters that we can pull out of it. And those characters already are known by 300,000 people. And we can pull them immediately away from uh, the, the uh, Jason thing, okay? Uh, and you know what the other thing is, Mick? What? It was awesome. Well, that, there's just that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, there is that. There is that. But, you know, the thing is, is, is you, you have to you have to make a plan and you have to know what you're doing and your plan shouldn't be just make short film. That's right. I, I'm That's just right. saying, you know, there's and, and to enter it into a festival for the vast, vast bulk of festivals, it just doesn't matter. You're only talking to each other, you know? Um, yeah. We got our first question. Okay. Hey, Daniel, what's up, man? I'm so glad we reconnected the other day. Daniel, I met Daniel down in Texas a handful of years ago, and um, we've recently reconnected, and, and the progress he has made uh, toward going after his own career as a, as a punk rock indie filmmaker uh, is just amazing. Um, people, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if, if we got Daniel in the brigade yet, but... Uh, you know, if you're in the brigade, reach out. He's uh, he's he's got a really good sensibilities as an up and coming filmmaker, uh, and he's, we'll make he's, it happen. His question here is: If you're doing your first film, should it be a short or full length? And you know, I think to speak to Mick's point on that, I think what Mick might be and correct me if I'm wrong, Mick. Like, there's absolutely nothing wrong. And Pat, I'd love to know your thoughts on this too. There's absolutely nothing wrong with making short films, no, no, especially no. when you're just starting out and you need to learn storytelling right. and you need to learn lighting and you need to learn all of that stuff in a practical application. But the reality is a short film will never pay back an investor ever, ever, ever. Right. 
And all it will do is maybe get you some exposure if you can get it out there and get the eyeballs on it yourself, because that's largely what it's been traditionally, right? It's it, you, you get paid in those exposure dollars. Right, right, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that's what I'm, I'm just saying is uh, maybe give yourself a year of making short films, but then uh, pump it up from there. You know, go, go to long term. I, I think that after a year, I think that you would be better served to volunteer on a long term project so that you know what that's like. Because you know what? These are really two different things. Um, telling telling a short story, and, and Pat, I'm going to ask you about this. If you're telling a short story, it has one particular art in it, and, and it's the short story is like this but a long-term film is these arcs kind of coming across each other that make it interesting right yeah uh, i've found like i've done commercial i've done short films for the american film institute I've, I've been an actor in several films and those are different than most shorts because the filmmakers usually have a movie or a commercial within a year of that. So it's always paid off for me there, you know. Right, right. Well, well Pat, what, what is your opinion on, on the short film uh, festival circuit and the whole, you know, I mean, you know just as well as we all do, the, the short film circuit, right? There, it, it is a thing. It is. It is yeah, there, there's no short film in the multiplex. So I, I'm with you guys in terms of wanting to get out there. You know what I mean? I mean, big, good, better, and different. A full-length film seems like it would be a bigger hand than, you know, a bigger help to your career than a short. But a great short at, at the AFI, at the American Film Institute, the, the shorts that really grabbed people, they, it was like eight minutes long, and a woman would direct this amazing short it would have her directing commercials within a year. Right. And that's an important thing because shorts are, you know, they're an excellent way to get to throw your hat in the ring for doing super short content like commercials. And as somebody who's done both feature and, and commercials, you know, there's something very freeing and relaxing about doing commercial because you get, you know, a movie, you put years of your life into a commercial, you show up in two, three days and you get that creative sort of itch scratched and you get to go home. Right, right, right. I, I, I'm just saying number one is this, is, is that um, the, the, the battle, we're coming up on a time where we're going to have so many ways to release films. There's going to be such a need for it out there uh, because uh, you got, you know, all these different streaming services are, are now going to start looking for films. They're going to start looking for stuff that's already made and in the can. And the thing is, is if, if you do a long-form film and, and you know, either take the loss or, or, you know, just do it for your investors and then move on to the next and move on to the next, if you're good at what you're doing, if you're meant to be in the business, Eventually, those are going to be your product also. That's right. That's so, a very good answer. It, it could be just my point of view on this. It could also be the fact that that even as I went on uh, a, uh, a fan film, I made absolutely sure that A, was a long form, and that B, that we had a plan 
for using it and how we were going to use it to jump to the next stage. And you guys know as well as I do that that is totally what <laughs> this business is about. Well, well, well the next stage. Nick, you just you just put out the second release of that film. What film is that again? Vengeance. Yes. Yeah, 2.0. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Long story in that. Anyway. <laughs> oh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> the 2.0 is the finished edit, uh, with the sound works and everything. Unfortunately, what we were trying to do is we were trying to make a deadline uh, of Friday the 13th. Okay. I'm not 100% sure that I would have gone for that because I I preferred to uh, dump it on, to, to release it on Halloween as a complete and finished film. So yes. We, so so basically we have uh, 330,000 hits on a film that isn't really finished. Is and, that all? And 6,000 fit, fits uh, hits on a film that uh, is really good. <laughs> but you know what? The thing is, is this, is I'm, I'm helping uh, get it out there and, and get uh, films attached to it with Brown Space Films and stuff. And now I have that one for them to look at, right? So, well, absolutely. And with the licensing issues and everything with Friday the 13th, I mean, it was a phenomenal film. Guys, please check it out. It, whether you see the first version or the second version, um, any Friday the 13th fan will absolutely love it. Uh, cameos, and it, it's great. Yeah, it absolutely is. But, you know, you brought up an interesting point that I want to talk about real quickly because you said that the first version has all these hundreds of thousands of hits and the second version only has 6,000 hits. And, you know, I believe, and Pat, I'm curious for your take on this as well, is, um, you know, I, I think that's, uh, it sounds like a textbook case of, of maybe uh, putting out too much marketing too soon before it was ready because now you've marketed the early version as opposed to marketing the finished version. Oh, I, I completely... Now everybody's already blown their wad, right? And they're not going to go back and watch it again. <laughs> so, yeah. Interesting yeah. choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do you get... So, so how do you gracefully go remarket? No, yeah, so how do you remarket that? How do you, in your experience, take something that everybody showed up for the first version but now you want to get the second version into the into as many, if not more, viewers. What? How do you gracefully go about approaching media outlets to kind of get the word out there again? And oh. and also the other thing is the, about these type of films. I wanted to ask you guys: Does it pay to mess with someone else's IP? I mean, doesn't it limit where you can show it? You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I, but well, the thing is, is they, they, they have said that they that we can release, and this is a good thing that we can release, uh, um, as long as any dollars that are made go to a charity, and our and we're going to make a Blu-ray release here in about three or four months, and the sales of that and certain uh, corporate entities that that uh, tied into us all channel back to the Shriners Children's Hospital. So we cannot make any money on it. Um, but we do have characters in it that can, that are not 
part of the um, the series itself that we can carry on and move around it that way. And, and we'll be doing something with those. I found this on the web for itself. Sorry, my phone is actually um, but, talking to itself. Hello? But yeah, that, that concerns me. Oh. It concerns you? I mean, in what way? Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, like, like uh, you'll see somebody like like the Pink Five films were embraced by Lucasfilm. They were charmed by them, the Star Wars shorts. Oh, yeah. And then but they, then you saw Paramount. Oh, good. They yanked it, right? Paramount went after the Star Trek people. Remember that? Uh, they they went after guys doing Star Trek fan films. Right, but were they making money? And what's it? this thing? I think they were. <laughs> yeah, this is what I'm saying. I mean, is Paramount wasn't making money. Yeah. There were some that were making money. There's some that it was this trademark or copyright infringement. Well, here's here's the thing. If they want to go out, the, if they want to go after the Shriners Hospital, I think they've got a real problem. <laughs> I mean, you know, th that wouldn't be like a uh, publicity black eye, do you think? <laughs> don't mess with the Shriners. <laughs> yeah, no, don't don't mess with CBS either, though. <laughs> I mean, that's a huge thing. That I mean, that's their property, and yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Um, what happened to George? Is he now so small that I can't see him? I don't see George at all, actually. He's gone. Joe, you, you lost It's our moment, George. Joe. Let's take the show. All right. So, anyway, uh, <laughs> Romero originally pictures Indie Brigade. <laughs> this week, this week on Joe and Pat's Indie Brigade. <laughs> <laughs> Mick, the first time or second time I had you on my show, you did Meet the Feebles, the theme song. Meet the Feebles, Meet the Feebles. Oh my god, that film is so amazing. <laughs> George, you're in a different position now. Uh, I don't know. You dropped out. I had to bring you back in. You're down below now. That's sorry. That's all right. Like, there we go. We've now now Nick, did you because you've done legit classic horror. Did they leave you alone on the, on the part of the the funny thing? Uh, did oh did Paramount leave us alone? I mean, like I say, we were donated because. To I, I didn't hear that. You sound like a Wookiee. <laughs> Pat, you're Max Hedgerming. Uh, well, while he's Max Hedgerming, I, I got to bring up our great friend, Lance Wagner. George, this one is specifically for you, brother. Oh, not everybody, pal. <laughs> <laughs> George, everyone on the screen has hair. What the fuck? Oh, Mick, brother, my hair was longer than yours when we spoke on my show. So, 
Sure. You know, Craig uh, asked a while ago, I know filmmakers who make films use social media and crowdfunding to finish their films and to sell to the same two, three, two to 3,000 fans. They do the film festivals and get some added sales. Uh, what would be an alternative? Um, you know, and I think that you didn't specify if you're talking about short films or, or long form films, uh, but yeah, you know, it, there is a there is a lot to be said if a filmmaker finds a a repeat and return audience of two to three thousand fans uh, for an independent filmmaker. That is, you know, that's a well that you keep going back to, and I don't mean that in some callous sort of financial way. I mean that in a, you know, if you've got that kind of loyalty as a filmmaker, that's what it becomes about. And I think that the, you know, instead of pursuing alternatives, if you if you're lucky enough to find two or three thousand fans for everything you do, you need to kind of like, instead of worrying about growing that, you need to cater to that. And if you want to grow and expand beyond that, do something different, find more fans. But those are the kind of things that, again, reaching out to media with the right approach and getting some right advertising and coverage and things like that about having that initial fan base or that rock solid of a fan base. You know, the people in the media, people like Pat who write about you guys uh, for all these publications, those are the people that will get you a bigger audience. They'll help expand that two to 3,000 into 5,000. And they'll help a new audience find you. If I'm, you know, and what do you guys think about that? Um, you know what, any way you can do it, uh, that, that, that sort of rant, uh, is totally my opinion. And, um, <laughs> and for what that's worth, I'm hanging out with you guys. Yeah. A pool of two to 3000 people. Yeah. I mean, no. do you stick with that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm absolutely good with that. But the thing is, is I, I just think that out there. Uh, I mean, working on a series or working in a long-form film uh, is, is where you get serious and, 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 and it becomes a product. And I'm just, and honestly, I'm just used to dealing with products, you know? Yeah. Uh, Listen, I get it. I get it. You know, we, we're, all, we're all doing this to make money eventually. We're all making products. That's right. all this is. That's you exactly know? it. And just so we have a few different tiers on here, I'm actually going to bring Michael back up. So we have a few different tiers, a few different opinions. Let's do this. Great. Good. Hey, Michael. Hey, guys. You're going to have to say your last name again. Because now we're at like an hour 45. It's, I, I definitely can't say it now. Yeah, if you didn't get it the first time, time is not going to help you out. It's not your friend. <laughs> hey, you're a veteran now, man. You're a veteran. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That brings up a valid point. Mick. You know how to introduce him. Go ahead. What? You you know you know his last name. You pronounced it earlier. So introduce Michael, please. We to CC. Good enough for me. I'll take it, Mick. <laughs> Michael, thanks for hanging out and being back. Yeah. Um, Matt, Matt, are you there? Where's he from? I am. So what do you think about this? I was thinking here, uh, has anyone uh, about Buffy the Vampire Slayer yet? <laughs> what? He's on his cell phone, so he may have connection. Um, you know what? In, in the end, I uh, I was on it for a very brief with Josh, 
Josh hired me, and then uh, we worked on the show for three weeks, and then we got fired. <laughs> wow! And I came back and did a bunch. Wow. Of, I did a bunch of rigging on the show later on, but uh, it it wasn't my normal thing, and um, and like uh, we got, I had to leave with him. You know, the the director t usually takes a, takes a most of the heads with him when he goes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe, what'd you do to Pat? Yeah, not Joe's fault. <laughs> Joe's fault. <laughs> that that may be Pat's phone or internet connection, brother. That's not me. I know, I know. Well, listen, I was hoping to get Pat's chime in on some of this stuff. So hey, MAG, I have a question for MAG. So how long is your film? Uh, the final cut is one hour and 43 minutes. Oh, sweet spot. Okay. Now, yeah. now here's the thing is your film I can totally understand because you, you you definitely have a plan that's set up to a certain group of people uh, that and, and especially the, the people that you're that you, you're talking about are rabid, right? Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I mean finding a rabid fan base like that is is just awesome. And, yeah. and it, it's clean, you know, nobody's got a copyright on, you know, things that happened in the West back then. And, uh, you know, here I am just talking about, I, I sound like I'm talking about just business. But, you know, <laughs> when you look at, say, when you look at wasting a certain amount of your time doing your film, and I have wasted a lot of time doing film, <laughs> a lot of time. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but here's... Have a plan. Damn it, but, have a plan. Well, right. But but here's the thing, you know, and I'm actually happy you're talking more business than anything because, you know, one of the things, Michael, when I asked you what your distribution plan was, you actually had a clean and clear and concise answer. You know, a lot of filmmakers don't. And that goes back to what Mick was saying earlier, which is the fact that, you know, so many people, the, the business of this business is so... It's, it's it exists in a gray area right and and that could be you walk into a meeting and it's somebody you're meeting with is having a bad fucking day because somebody ran over their cat and then that translates into you know the next five years of your life because you have a shitty meeting with somebody right and that meeting is forever associated so you know the business of the business is an important thing that we talk about here at the brigade because not enough people think about it the right way. And what's interesting that Mick picked up on about your distribution plan is that you are going after a a, a specific like laser targeted market targeted market with your film. And and to use Mick's term, it's rabid. It's a rabid fan base. And you know, um, I'm interested to know how you obviously with the content and all, but. You know, how did you kind of sift and filter through the fringes of that to kind of get such a laser focus on your on your target demographic? Yeah, it's actually fairly easy with uh, the reach of social media um, and you know the the, uh, the kind of the broadness of the internet. So you can look. Uh, Facebook is a great tool for this. In any subject matter, you can find a group that's affiliated with that or multiple groups. And then you can look for the members and you can kind of look at how many are duplicate members of other groups. And so when you look at this Billy the Kid thing, you know, we're talking about many, many thousands of individuals 
who on a regular basis are interacting about this subject. And then there's message boards and different websites. Um, so uh, that was the first way. And the second way is after I finished the trailer and we put it up for people to see uh, uh, on Facebook and YouTube and Vimeo, on Facebook, I took a hundred bucks and I ran, uh, I ran it as an advertisement, a sponsored post. And I picked out a demographic and said, you know, I, we're not a demographic. I want people that are into Westerns, that are into history, that are into Billy the Kid, that kind of stuff. And then Facebook runs this and they tell you exactly how many desktops you uh, wound up on and who those people are, how old they are, what their gender is, where they're from. And so for a hundred bucks, it was a great investment for me to understand that my audience is 60% men, 45 to 65 and 40% uh, women in that same age range. And if I aim right down that pipe, that's where I'm going to find uh, most of my, most of the fans and people that would purchase or watch this movie. That's, that's interesting. And, and, you know, Pat, are you back with us? I am. Thank you. Welcome back. I'm happy you're back. And, you know, we've been talking uh, with Michael here about him using Facebook and literally spending a hundred bucks to figure out exactly what he needed to figure out. But, you know, what I'd be interested in asking you about uh, with regard to this to benefit our, our, our filmmakers is, you know, if you don't or say you even go that route first and you find your demographic, now as somebody like you who writes for some of these publications, how do filmmakers go about finding somebody like you to do a feature on their film and get it into the right publications that would be that, that are going to, you know, harbor their demographic and their target? Well, I think the, the main thing is to attract attention to your project. I mean, speaking with my journalist hat on, we're eager to cover something. We're eager to cover something that gets us excited. You know what I mean? And so you approach the, you approach the journalist. If there's a journalist in a magazine you like, approach them directly. You know, some of them are flattered by it, you know? Yeah. So literally just Let reach out. Access just Sorry. Yeah. No worries. I mean, uh, uh, the, the great thing, especially in the horror genre, and you, you're the guy who did the Billy the Kid movie, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, what you should do is start approaching, like, uh, the, the, go to Barnes & Noble, and there's several, there's several films dedicated, there's several books dedicated to the Western culture. Start there, you know, ring a bell. You know, you approach those magazines. Let them know you have a Billy the Kid movie. It looked interesting to me. The trailer was cool. What you said about it was interesting. So start approaching them. And then, I mean, Billy the Kid is one of the big legends. And there hasn't been, as you noted, a Billy the Kid project of any magnitude since the Brad Pitt movie. So start approaching them, you know. Yep. Yeah. And the, the one thing I can tell you is that be, probably because of the subject matter, we've actually had a pretty easy time getting uh, coverage from the uh, local and regional press. So we've been on the. Uh, yeah, you're in the area, right? Yeah. yeah. Several times we've had the evening news pick it up when we announced filming or that. casting updates. Um, I've got a number of the uh, local and regional newspapers that have reported on it. And as kind of a little, I guess you'd call it a stunt, Billy was. If he was killed, he was killed uh, just before midnight on July the 14th in 1881. So we released the trailer at midnight, 
on July 14th of this year, but I did it from his gravesite in a live Facebook broadcast <laughs> at midnight, along with the city councilor. And, uh, you know, stuff like that, you know, a couple of newspapers came out and covered it there. So I just believe on, you know, asking for what you want, be relentless in reaching out, respectful, but relentless to journalists, let them know you've got a story and, and stay in touch with them. I, I've, I haven't found anybody that said, hey, I don't want any more news about, you know, an upcoming film. And uh, it's so far worked out. We're getting ready for a big slew of press releases Monday, just uh, you know, a week out from the premiere. That, that's just great. I think I think that you're. I think you've got a great line on this. Thank you. Yeah, I really do too, man. You've got your shit together, and it's it's really nice to see. You know, I mean, because uh, it, it is it is punk rock indie, and and there are a lot of us out there who are just starting out, who aren't, who don't really think that way yet, and you know. So that was kind of my goal for tonight was to kind of try to give people uh, just a little bit of direction on how to potentially think outside the box when it comes to their film. And, and, and Mick, uh, you know, I mean, how many times have you seen filmmakers get so caught up in the filmmaking of their filmmaking that they, you know, everything else goes out the window, right? And, and, and nobody, but then they're left with this great, beautiful movie they made and alone. <laughs> um, nobody's ever seen it will. You know? That's right. You know, oh, it's 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 so true. You gotta you gotta do that secondary leg work, man. It's 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 the most important, you know, it really is. And it's just as much work as making the movie. Oh my god, it's way more work. I mean it's 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 uh it it, it also has a way more nebulous quality to it. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, ain't that the truth? Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I gotta go, guys. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I'm just wrapping up. I'm just wrapping up. Do, do, can we just go around since Mick, you got to jump? You want to tell people where they can find anything you're working on? And oh, you know what? Uh, I got a book called uh, "Behind the Screams: uh, The Dream Masters Revealed." You can go to behindthescreamsbook.com and order it. Uh, you can always uh, DM me on Facebook and and uh, and uh, leave me an interesting message, and I'll uh, add you on. And um, yeah, you know, uh, as I normally do, get a hold of me. <laughs> awesome. Mick, I love you tremendously. I'm so happy we've become friends in this whole process. Oh, yeah. You know, one of my uh, – the friends that I've made, but um, I, I, I love them all, but you become re really special to me. Uh, it, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it so you can grow your hair back. <laughs> and I think Mick has never said this to me. Oh, no. <laughs> I love you, Mick. Thank you for coming on tonight. Have a great night. And uh, – Next till next time, man. See you guys. See you, buddy. Um, Mike, do you want one more time, real quick? Tell everybody where they can find you, what you're doing, where they can find you. Yeah, yeah. If you you can connect with me on uh, Facebook, I'd love to uh, meet any uh, friends, fans, or uh, uh, other filmmakers and network. Uh, but you can find more about the film and some upcoming films at Mankind Pro P R O, MankindPro.com, and that's where uh, all of uh, my clearinghouse for uh, films and casting calls and everything else will be so uh, guys thanks for having me on it's been been a blast really enjoyed it and learned a lot
Thank you so much, Michael, for coming on tonight. I appreciate it. I'm sorry I called you Mike a minute ago. You said okay. Michael. So, you know, but Michael, thank you so much. Have a great night, buddy, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, see it. Pat, you want to tell everybody what you got going on, what's next for Pat, and where can people find you? Tell us about your own show and, and plug your stuff, man. Oh, yeah, please. Thank you. Thank you, Georgia. Um, I, I do a podcast, The Jeff and Janky Show, with my co-host, Jeff Sargent. I'm a pissed-off cave monster running on all fours in the next Danny Trejo movie, The Prey, Legend of Karnakis. I play Karnakis. You want to organize me? I look like a monkey spider thingamabob. I'm also in the new Star Wars uh, Insider. I'm in the new Star Trek. And I have a cover story in the next Infinity. I have two other projects coming up. I can't announce them yet. And George and Joe and Mick, thank you very much, you guys. It was a blast. Pat, thank you so much for coming on tonight. It really means the world, man. You know, it's not often the that I get... The pleasure was mine, George. Oh, no, truly. Thank you so much, man. And, uh, and we'll see you next time, Pat. And let's talk next week. Sounds good, sir. Thank you very much. All right, night. So, uh, Dino's been here, man. Um, I, I've been trying to flash... Well, I want to. I want to just rub in your face for a second that I remember to ask everybody to plug their shit. So, uh-huh. how is that rubbing that in my face? I don't know. I just, I just haven't been mean to you. <laughs> okay. <fair. laughs> Listen, we've actually with the Indie Brigade, and I want to talk to Dean here. Uh, Dean, I love you, man. I'm so happy you're here. Everybody, I'm happy that uh, I'm happy that everybody's here. Part. Uh, the guys who are on tonight, if they're not already in the community, will get an invite. We'll be joining the community, so you'll be able to reach out and ask questions of, of Pat. Heck, I think Mick's already in there. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for your support and your love toward this thing. Dean, we, you and I got to get back on here and start answering some of these questions about this uh, distribution that we're doing for everybody. And when it comes to the Indie Brigade, we have made it easy for you. Um, you can go to Linktree slash Romero Pictures. That is link dot, or what is it? Linktr.ee slash Romero Pictures. All of our links are there. The links to our Facebook, Instagram, uh, all of our social media, links to our YouTube. Uh, a link to the YouTube will actually subscribe you, so all you have to do is click it and then say yes. Um, it couldn't get any easier. And you can find all of our stuff right there. Linktr.ee slash Romero Pictures get you to everything and anything we got going on okay on that note um anything else just one thing fuck off till next time <laughs>